Heavenly Father, we once again want to invite your presence to be with us, to continue to be our instructor, to continue to be our, our teacher, our leader, and our guide. And we pray that you would uh, reveal to us some of these practical uh, instructions on interpreting Scripture, the ABCs, uh, if you will. We thank you, Lord, and uh, we ask this in your name. Amen. All right, so uh, we're going to look at this wonderful topic, the ABCs of uh, interpretation, and, uh, and, and really how to study the Bible effectively and accurately, uh, I should even say, and some correct assumptions that we need to have about Scripture before we even get off the bat. And that's uh, the first one uh, taken from Romans chapter 15, verse 4. Uh, for whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So the first thing we need to understand is that need to understand is that scripture was written for our learning, for our, our instruction. Also the second point found in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 verse 11 says this, now all these now all these things, and by the way, he's describing, Paul is uh, describing here the, uh, the experience of the ancient Israelites uh, during the time of, of Moses, uh, etc. He says this, Now all these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition upon whom the ends uh, of the ages have come. And so their experience, the ancient Israelites, served as, an, as a type or an example of how we should uh, or shouldn't live. And, uh, and so the, those are two things that we need to keep in mind as we read Scripture. It's for our edification. Now, two components that we're going to look at uh, uh, as we are seekers and, and desiring to interpret Scripture correctly. Two components we need to look at is the spiritual uh, and the hermeneutical. Uh, both are components that, that assist us or aid us in, in, in interpreting Scripture correctly. We need to be spiritual, but we also need to understand some uh, practical, uh, the, the practical science of interpretation as well, dealing with hermeneutics. So two components that we'll look at. Um, and let me go ahead and jump to the spiritual. Uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14, the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. So if we want to understand Scripture, which is a spiritual book, we need to become spiritual. We need to be spiritual. And then there's a hermeneutical component found in 1 Timothy 2.15. We already read this, but let me just reiterate uh, again real quick. Uh, be diligent to present yourselves, yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly, rightly dividing the word of truth. So we need to rightly divide the words of truth, and that's the component of hermeneutics. So let's look at the spiritual uh, component and delve into that just a little bit more here. Uh, education, page 189, says this, A true knowledge of the Bible can be gained only through the aid of the Spirit by whom the Word was given. 
Um, and so uh, we need to understand that we need to depend on the Holy Spirit. Also, another aspect of the spiritual component is that we need to be in harmony with God in order to derive a correct interpretation of Scripture. Uh, five, uh, volume, the fifth volume of the Testimonies, page 705, says this, Whenever men are not seeking in word and deed to be in harmony with God, then however learned they may be, they are liable to err in their understanding of Scripture. So uh, in our heart, in our lives, we need to be seeking conformity to the will of God, and that will also aid us um, in Scripture interpretation. Also the importance, uh, to dovetail that, the importance of of the heart, where our heart is with God. Ellen White says, the perception and appreciation of truth, he said, depends less upon the mind than upon the heart. So you can have all the right hermeneutics. You can have all the right steps uh, and know the science of interpreting scripture like many scholars do. But if your heart is not in the right place, you will still uh, arrive at the wrong conclusions. She goes on to say, truth must be received into the soul. It claims the homage of the will. If truth could be submitted to the reason alone, pride would be no hindrance in the way of its reception. But it is to be received through the work of grace in the heart. And its reception depends upon the renunciation of every sin that the Spirit of God reveals. Man's advantages for obtaining a knowledge of the truth, however great these may be, will prove of no benefit to him unless the heart is open to receive the truth. And there is a conscientious surrender of every habit and practice that is opposed to its principles. So, uh, uh, again, the importance of the heart, Ellen White is instilling uh, uh, into our, our uh, 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 reiterating the importance of the heart in interpreting uh, scripture and truth. Um, but there is uh, some importance as well to having the right hermeneutics, and I don't think that we should undermine that component. Uh, and before we start with that, I wanted to I want to define some of the terms. Hermeneutics. Uh, the, can be defined in this way. It involves the branch of knowledge that deals with the interpretation or the meaning of Scripture. The branch of knowledge that deals with the interpretation or meaning of Scripture. So I'm going to be throwing some of these terms around. The next term that we need to familiarize ourselves with is the word exegesis. And uh, uh, for our intents and purposes, let's define it like this. It's It's when we bring out of the text what is already there. Uh, Finding the original historical meaning of a given text. In other words, uh, the intended, uh, what did the scripture mean to the intended audience? And uh, and of course, um, that's the goal of, of scripture interpretation. That should be our first goal. Not to apply it, but to first obtain an, an, uh, obtain an exegetical interpretation of Scripture. Then you have eisegesis. 
eisegesis occurs when we read into the text our own opinions, our ideas, or our uh, faulty assumptions, or even our true assumptions. So you may have, uh, and we talked about this in our last meeting, you may have uh, truth, but you may, and, and, and have this understanding of truth that you read into a text uh, where it doesn't state uh, it as such. And so uh, we need to make sure that we stray away from eisegesis. So let's move forward here uh, now that we've defined those terms and look at the principles, uh, some of the principles of hermeneutics. Uh, the first one we're going to be looking at is, is the fact that we need to ensure that we dig deep into Scripture. That's one principle uh, or one practical uh, thing we need to ensure that we do. The second principle of hermeneutics is to avoid eisegesis, reading into the text what's not there. Uh, the third principle is we need to ensure that we are making use of exegesis and understanding how to go about doing that. Uh, the fourth principle of, hermene of hermeneutics is uh, the understanding or the fact that we need to bridge the gap, bridge the gap, and I'm going to explain that shortly. And then finally, uh, application. And one of the problems that we as Bible students do is we read the text and we jump straight to application and, uh, and often uh, come up with some erroneous or faulty interpretations of Scripture. So let's look at digging deep. Ellen White says this. She says, let the student take one verse. And I think this is a very, very practical thing that we need to do when we read Scripture. She says, let the student take one verse and concentrate the mind on ascertaining the thought that God has put into that verse for him. And then dwell upon the thought until it becomes his own. One passage thus studied until its significance is clear is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive uh, instruction uh, gained. And so I think it would be helpful if we dig deep into Scripture and dwell upon it. The next one is uh, uh, avoiding eisegesis. We've already defined the, the terms. Ellen White says this. She says, if you search the Scriptures to vindicate your own opinions, you will never, never reach the truth. And she goes on to say in Christ's Object Lessons, page 112, search in order to learn what the Lord says and not to vindicate your own opinion. So eisegesis occurs when we read into Scripture our own biases, our own opinions. And we need, by God's grace, to seek to avoid this. Search in order to learn what the Lord says, Ellen White says. So avoiding eisegesis, some pr uh, a, a practical way of, of trying to avoid this or attempting to avoid this is to double check your proof texts, um, to understand the context of any given passage before you uh, make any assumptions or conclusions about it. First, understand the context. And don't impose truth, even though it is true, for, such as something uh, that you discovered in, in the writings of Ellen White 
upon uh, scripture, have the text itself reveal truth. So in other words, let me give you an example of this, like health message, which is, by the way, a truth. And uh, I believe that it is a truth. So, but what I don't want to do is say, you know what, because it's true, it must be uh, in the Bible. And of course, I believe it's in the Bible. But let me look for it in every single verse of Scripture. And, uh, and when we start doing that, you come out with some very fantastic mental judo gymnastics, if you will. And, uh, and, and then when you start preaching this, people start think, start, begin to think that you've uh, lost your rocker. And so just be careful of, of doing that. Uh, exegesis. And this is uh, something we need to do. The first goal of interpretation is to determine the meaning that the text had for its original author and also the original audience or the original recipients uh, of that text. And when you establish that first as your number one objective, then you can draw out applications that are consistent with the biblical passage. And uh, this, is, this is a vital, vital, uh, important principle that I think we need to understand as Seventh-day Adventists. Uh, Ellen White says this in Mount of Blessing, uh, page one. And, and Ellen White also was uh, one who practiced uh, these principles of exegesis. She says in Mount of Blessings, page one, understanding what the words of Jesus meant to those who heard them, the original audience. In doing that, she says, we may discern in them a new vividness and beauty and may also gather for ourselves their deeper lessons. It's a textbook definition of what uh, exegesis is. It's understanding what the scriptures would have meant or did mean to those who originally heard them. Uh, one of the components or one of the uh, aspects that help us to do, to do exegesis well is the understanding that we need to bridge the gap. We need to bridge the gap and understand that the context, the historical context in which the Bible was written in drives uh, the interpretation and more specifically, the correct interpretation of Scripture. And so, because we need to understand that there are many challenges to biblical interpretation, that there are many gaps that exist between the ancient world that took place thousands of years ago and our modern world today. And I'm going to list some of those uh, gaps. Number, the first one is a linguistic gap. You know, many people today cannot read Greek or Hebrew or Aramaic. So there's a disconnect in some ways in, in terms of uh, the language. Uh, so that's one gap that we need to attempt to narrow. And of course, the English translations of the Bible, uh, by and large, do narrow that gap, but not completely. There's also a historical gap. More than 1,900 years have passed since the last words of Scripture were written. And imagine how much the world has, has changed uh, since the first century. And so we need to bridge the historical gap. 
between uh, uh, our modern world and what took place years ago. There's also a socio-cultural uh, gap. The biblical world, for example, was essentially agrarian with landowners and tenant farmers. In the Bible, we have customs and beliefs and practices that are completely foreign to us. And, uh, and let alone, not, not even in, in the context of us versus Bible times, is there a vastly different context? I mean, you go to Cambodia. I know, Cosman, you went to Zambia, uh, Zimbabwe, or, uh, you know, and, and there's a, a vastly different context. Um, and let me give you an example of that. How, we, how a context can shape an interpretation of an event that takes place. You go to Cambodia, and I've been to, on several mission trips to Cambodia, and you'll have an entire family of like three or four children plus a husband and wife riding on one moped, okay? Literally, as newborn infants are dangling from the arms of the right arm of the mother on one side, with the three, four-year-old uh, child on, uh, uh, on her left arm, with maybe a 12-year-old child between the husband and the wife on that limited seat there the sp in terms of space, and driving down uh, a road at like 50 miles per hour, right? In America, we would look at that and be appalled and say, this is, this is irresponsible, in fact, someone would go as far as to say this is child abuse, right, or abusive. Uh, I remember some years ago reading in the newspaper, Britney Spears had her child on her lap driving in a car. And people made a huge ruckus about that. And uh, whereas in Cambodia, that would be considerably much safer than, than their practices. So, so all of this is to say that the context certainly, undoubtedly drives how we interpret the reality of any given time or place. And that must be understood. This is not just something that scholars, that, that scholars are supposed to do. And we say, well, we're just going to read the Bible for spiritual reasons. Yes, that's true. But as we understand these things in a deeper sense, it'll actually deepen our spiritual experience when we understand these things. Uh, so context drives or determines the meaning. And uh, delving further into this concept of, the, of understanding the historical and cultural context, think how knowing someone's background even helps you to understand why they do what they do such as rape victims and Af the African-American community or Iraqi uh, insurgents, for example. It doesn't necessarily justify their actions, but at least it gives you an understanding. Um, so that includes information, information such as dates and authorship, destination, the purpose of the writings, the circumstances at the time of the writing, the prevailing customs of the recipients, the deities that were worshipped, it provides, uh, and knowing this provides the perspective of the original communicators, the both the initiator and the receptor uh, in understanding the correct meaning. It also provides the mindset or mental attitude and inclination of the Bible writer. Now, by the way, there are some, some, some good and, and right assumptions or presuppositions that, that 
that we need to bring to the table when we uh, read scripture. And the more we know of scripture, it'll help us to have those correct and right assumptions. Because remember, the Bible writers themselves were Bible students. So when they wrote scripture, they had the scriptures that they had in mind, the, meaning the Old Testament, if you're speaking of the New, they, they were well-versed in the Old Testament, so that they're drawing language from the Old Testament. So the better we know the Old Testament, the better we'll understand the New as well. Um, and one final illustration, I just want to bring this point home how the historical cultural context can shape and determine the meaning of the text. Think of the statement, flying planes can be dangerous. The simple statement, flying planes can be dangerous. I know uh, we have some students here at Weimar College that are asking me to uh, write, fly in the airplane with them and I'm waiting for until they get a little more experience <laughs> before I'll uh, hop in because I don't want to be presumptuous, right? Uh, but this, this statement here, flying planes can be dangerous. Now, it makes a difference. It makes a difference, a, a big difference, whether the person making that statement is a flight instructor, right? Stating flying planes can be dangerous versus King Kong on top of the Empire State Building making that same statement that flying planes can be dangerous. And who is making that statement makes, a, makes an impact on how you will interpret it. The context the, the, uh, in which it takes place in makes an impact on how you interpret the text. Another example from scripture, Jesus called Herod Antipas a fox in Luke chapter 13, verse 32. And those who heard Jesus' words attributed a certain value to the words fox. Uh, in rabbinic literature, a fox typified low cunning or ins insignificance. And so that's helpful when we interpret that passage. So the conclusion... Uh, be sure to study the background of any biblical book you are studying and study the background of the specific passages in the book as well. And important resources might include, uh, of course, the spirit of prophecy. Patriarchs and prophets, Desire of Ages provides wonderful insight into the background of many of these things. The Seventh-day Adventist Bible Commentary uh, is also, I, I think, uh, is very helpful in understanding the context. And, and those of you who may be a little bit distrustful of going to those things, just keep in mind that, that uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Bible commentary is a very conservative commentary. In fact, you'll see littered throughout the commentaries the writings of Ellen White, that informs uh, those who were writing the commentaries and, uh, and it provides, has unique uh, perspectives that you wouldn't see in other commentaries as a result of that. But also Bible dictionaries. Bible dictionaries are very helpful. Uh, archaeological findings, uh, often you can find those findings in Bible dictionaries, uh, are very also very helpful in understanding the historical context as well as, as scripture uh, itself. 
uh, Ellen White uh, says this. She says, an understanding of the customs of those who lived in Bible times, of the location and time of events, is practical knowledge. Is what? It's, it's practical knowledge. In other words, it's, it's good to know. It's good to know. It's not just for the scholars. Why? Well, she says it aids in making clear the figures of the Bible and in bringing out the force of Christ's lessons or, or any book of the Bible, for that matter, outside of the Gospels. So bridging the gap. We need to bridge the gap uh, in terms of time, in terms of geography, in terms of language, in terms of circumstances, in terms of culture and society, in terms of worldviews and outlooks. And uh, some of those tools that I mentioned uh, assist us in doing that. Another helpful thing to do is to observe biblical maps, to glean from the, uh, the context from multiple readings of Scripture itself. As I mentioned before, going to the spirit of prophecy and, cons and consulting uh, concordances and dictionaries, etc. Once we, you have established uh, exegesis or the intended meaning of Scripture to the original audience and, and, and then glean principles obtained as a result of that, it is then and only then that we should go to or move forward to application. And that's where we personalize the task, the, the, the text, and ask ourselves questions such as, what is God trying to tell me in this passage? How does the verse affect my commitment to Christ? Or what changes do I need to make in my life in light uh, of the passages uh, just learned? And uh, so just as a, as a quick review, some uh, the, the principles of hermeneutics that we need to keep in mind in reading Scripture. Number one, first and foremost, seek guidance from the Holy Spirit. Um, living a life in accordance with His will uh, number one, uh, uh, is number one. Number two, um, uh, and I just stated number two, maintaining the harmony with God. Number three is digging deep into Scripture. No superficial reading. Uh, the fourth one is avoiding eisegesis. And the fifth one is, is doing exegesis uh, faithfully. And that helps us to bridge the gap and then uh, leads us to a correct application of those scriptures. And uh, I just want to go through some, uh, a little bit more of an in-depth uh, as, we, as we close, or this is the final component of, of today's seminar, some practical steps. And, and I don't want you to... Uh, take this in an arbitrary fashion, as in, I have to do these steps uh, or else I'm not going to arrive at the correct interpretation. That's not what I'm saying. Just use these steps as a, as a rule of thumb, and it'll assist you and help you in your interpretation of Scripture. So no, step number one, turn to God in prayer, understanding that spiritual things are spiritually discerned. Uh, also for wisdom, we find that in James 1.5, God will give us wisdom and also guidance of the Holy Spirit. We find that in Luke chapter 11, verse 13. Uh, the step two, uh, drawing upon uh, the, the seminar uh, uh, yesterday, we want to use the best possible reading, uh, working with established Greek and Hebrew texts. 
And so uh, a reliable reading or translation or, or, or reading uh, of the original languages and a text that, that is conducive to that. Uh, the third one is, is if you know the Greek yourself, you can translate uh, the text, the Greek or Hebrew. But if not, seek to acquire the best translations. And remember and keep in mind that even the best translation is an interpretation. So you want to seek to minimize the inserting of man's own opinions and biases. So you want to avoid paraphrase Bibles. Now they do have their place, like the clear word, for example, um, and, and some other Bibles that, that uh, uh, often are uh, that you insert, like, for example, Adventist doctrine and beliefs um, uh, into the passage itself. They have its place, but if you want to do deep, uh, deep Bible study, you want to avoid paraphrased Bibles. Uh, you want to stick with a formal or literal translation. Uh, Bibles that, that stay as close to the original language as possible. They're also called word-for-word -word translations. We talked about that the other day. You also want to, uh, and, and dynamic translations uh, are the middle ground, and we spoke about that yesterday, so I'm not going to delve into that, but those are other translations that uh, are, are kind of like in the middle of paraphrase and, and formal literal translations. Then step four, you want to read the text. Read the text carefully and repeatedly and preferably in its larger uh, context. Read the entire book and if possible in one setting. And, and granted, that's a lot to ask if you're going to read the book of Psalms uh, in one setting or, or even a book like Isaiah or Jeremiah. Uh, if, you, if you don't have a lot of time, that, that, that can prove challenging. But if, if possible, uh, read it in one setting and several times through. And uh, that's, uh, that's uh, step number four. Uh, step number five, investigate the context. And uh, we just spoke about this. Uh, when was the biblical book written? These are things that you want to establish. Who was the human author? To whom was the book originally addressed? What was the author's purpose? At which time and in which geographical location did events described in the book occur? What was the political, economic, and social situation at the time? What was the religious background and situation? Which customs were prevailing? How did people live, work, and support themselves? Let me give you a, uh, a common mistake that I didn't talk about earlier that people often make. If you read in, in books like Joel and Amos and, and, and some of these minor prophets, uh, as well as some of the major ones, and, and you go to, into Isaiah and Jeremiah, you often see this word repeated a lot you know, in, the, in, the end, in, in the latter days or in the end times. Uh, or in those days, in the latter days. And as we read that, many times as we as Seventh-day Adventists, we immediately begin to think the end of time in terms of our day. And, uh, and then we begin interpreting those passages accordingly, not understanding that the books of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Hosea and Amos had a specific audience that they were addressing.
And so the end of time or the latter days had a specific reference to a specific time uh, in, uh, during, in their context and during the times that they lived. And, uh, and so we need to keep that in mind because end of times to them could have meant the Babylonian captivity and the destruction of Jerusalem. To, that, to them, that was their end of time right? It, it could also mean to uh, refer to other uh, uh, periods of time uh, 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 in their history. And so we need to keep in mind that when we see uh, a verse, for example, saying that in the end of time and, and somewhere along, uh, down long, along the lines, you see the word locust will come as a swarm and eat the harvest and, and there will be bloodshed. Let's not jump to the conclusion that because it states end of time, that it's referring to our end of time, and therefore the locusts or the grasshoppers must mean that they are helicopters flying and, and blowing up things in the Middle East. And that's a, a, a danger that we, we often find, that if we just understood some of these grounded biblical principles that Ellen White also endorses, if we just understood these things, we would not jump to those faulty conclusions and interpretations. And, uh, and, and so uh, think about that the next time you hear that locusts are equatable to helicopters uh, in the Middle East. Uh, continuing along with step five in terms of investigating the context, you also want to know the literary context, the verses, the paragraphs, the chapters, and even books that proceed and follow the text to be studied, and also the liter larger literary context as a whole, meaning scripture as a whole, uh, the biblical books uh, from which the text is taken, uh, and, and seeking the overall message uh, of the book. And, um, and then step six, perform theological analysis. What are the truths that we can derive? What are the theological motifs and themes that are being discussed or that are, are coming out uh, uh, in the biblical text that we're studying or, being, or what's being studied? Where do they stand within the context of the whole book? How do they relate to the overall uh, message uh, of Scripture? Once we've done that, uh, that was step six, then we move to step seven, and that's applying the text. Once the text is uh, properly understood uh, in its original situation, then we can then move to application by applying the principles gained from the passage. It's then that we can personalize the text. What is God trying to tell me in this passage? How does the verse affect my devotion or commitment to Christ? What does it say about prophecy? What does it say? Is, is there a, a, now a dual application? Because uh, literal Israel failed to, to uh, complete uh, some of the um, prophecies uh, of, of Isaiah and Jeremiah. Is there now a, a spiritual uh, application it has to us as Seventh-day Adventists as being spiritual Israel today. And, uh, and, and then we can start delving into those uh, areas. Step eight uh, is using, making use of resources. Uh, and I've already stated this, but it, it, it's very helpful in, in, in this, Ellen White concordances, etc. 
And, um, and that's all the steps. Um, and I, what I would say to that is, as you, I know it's a lot of, of information that, that we just covered. And so what I don't want you to feel is that just because you, don't, you can't remember each and every step that you're going to get it wrong. That's not the point of this, uh, of this seminar. These are just principles that you're, you want to continue to develop in your mind as you continue your Bible study. Because ultimately, God and the Holy Spirit is going to lead you into all of truth. And as we depend upon God, and as we, as we learn these principles that, that appeal to even our common sense, we can better cooperate with God in our interpretation of Scripture. And I know that is uh, the desire of, of each of us in this room. Uh, may God bless you and uh, continue to bless you as you uh, attempt to faithfully understand His Scriptures. Let's go ahead and bow our heads uh, with closing word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for guiding us, leading us, and blessing us. And we pray for uh, your spirit to truly reveal to us what's truth. Because in the end, we can have all the steps right, but have our heart wrong. And uh, guide us, we pray, uh, in our lives, uh, morally, spiritually, and also physically. We ask this in your name. Amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.